Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. Marginalized people. In the Bible, there are marginalized communities, of course. 
There have always been marginalized communities. Whenever uh, I was growing up, we were, it was kind of at the end of the era, but there were what we called the hobos. The hobos uh, rode the tracks and they, uh, they went from town to town. A lot of it started way back in the Depression, but it continued on. And they were the marginalized people. They lived in hobo camps. And, and uh, now we call them homeless uh, uh, encampments and so on. But, uh, and, and so there, there were always those. But in the Bible, there were marginalized communities. If you were a publican, you might have money, but nobody would talk to you. Everybody hated you. If you were a, a sinner, a, a woman of the night, if you will, um, everybody hated you too. And, uh, and uh, if you were, another thing was a Samaritan. And uh, a Samaritan was a, nobody liked them because they were a half-breed between Jews and, and, and Assyrians. And, and the Jews wouldn't talk to them. And, and probably the Assyrians didn't talk to them. And, and, uh, and, and, and nobody liked them. But probably the most marginalized group of the time were those that were lepers. Now, if you were a Samaritan who was a publican uh, who moonlighted as a, 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 a woman of the night and you had leprosy, nobody talked to you. Nobody. You were, you were, and then, then I could go into intersectionalism and all that kind of stuff they talk about now, but uh, you were the worst of the worst. But, but uh, the, the, the lepers were a people that goes way back into Leviticus, the Bible teaches, leprosy was a disease. Today, uh, does anybody know what leprosy is called today? Just sheer ugliness, I think. But uh, no, it's a, it's called Hansen's disease. It is a real disease that still exists today. In fact, there's still here, just in a few places around the world, there's what is called lepers' colonies. And so way back in Leviticus, the Bible set out certain rules about people who had leprosy. Leprosy is a miserable disease. It, it begins, it's scaly. It begins to grow on your face and on your hands, uh, on the marginal or peripheral parts of your body. It will begin to eat away at your fingers. And people who have lived their life with leprosy, their, their hands begin to curl up and then their fingers begin to rot away and parts of their face rot away. Their eyes begin to, to rot and, they, and, and their organs begin to fail. And it's a horrible, horrible disease. It is contagious, not tremendously contagious, but it is contagious. It has mainly been, there is um, some antiviral medications and vaccines that, that have pretty much taken care of um, leprosy, but there's still about 150 to 200 cases of it in the United States uh, and several thousand throughout the world every year. It's very, very, very rare. But it was not rare back in those days. It was something that happened quite often. It was a miserable disease. And it, notwithstanding the pain and the, and the difficulty of it and the, the ugliness of it, it was something that separated you from your friends, from your family. And whenever you were, whenever you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were pushed out into the margins of society. No longer did you live with your friends or your family. No longer. If you were married, she stayed home and you went to the leper colony or, or the area where the lepers stayed. And, and that was the place you stayed away from. It would be a horrible existence to be in. When you think about it, think about the, the young child or man 
that ends up with leprosy and has to leave the ones that he loves and, and goes into this place where where people are uh, look like you know the Quasimodo, uh, uh, you know, and, and they, they just look horrible and. And, and you've got to live amongst these people. And along with the disease, their, their spirits have been twisted. Because that happens a lot of times whenever you're pushed away. And so it's a, they, 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 it's just a rough kind of situation. There's, there's just simply no, nothing good about it. It's a miserable, lonely uh, a society and, and way to live. I think of, I think of, uh, People today, and it's interesting how that uh, how, how sometimes we, we look at folks, and they may not be necessarily, or they may be ever. You know, here, here's the thing: they talk about marginalized communities when it when it talks about race, but everybody's so mixed up. I guess everybody's marginalized now. Right. But uh, right. but the uh, the the thing is, is that I look at folks, and and in today's society, you have groups of people that 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 don't really fit in, if you will. And sometimes that's the way it is when you're a young person. I, I remember, um, you know, and, and young people are kind of like lepers. They smell funny. They look funny. They act funny. No, just joking. I'm just joking. Okay. Wait, wait. It's kind of. I remember when we moved to Safford. It's been it's been many many years ago. We, I was born in a town by the name of Fresno, California, and I may have mentioned this before. In passing, I was born in a town by the name of Fresno, California. Um, my the first twelve years of my life, we lived there. We lived in a. We were, I was born in Fresno. We moved off to a place called San Joaquin, which was a little town on the west side of the valley there. And uh, my dad started a church there. I came. I, I, I some of you might know the name, but one of the first memories I have is sliding down the banisters at the, uh, Harvey and Thester Church in Fresno. Uh, during the uh, revival that was preached by Brother Verbal Bean, I remember those uh, those 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 memories that I have. And uh, this was the church that today Brother Von Morton pastored. That was the first church that I remember going to. And uh, but I remember that as just a very young kid. We lived on Boyd. We lived on Fillmore, Florida. There were streets and we lived down in Fresno. Then we moved to San Joaquin. From San Joaquin, we came. My dad started a church in Clovis, California, which was a suburb of Fresno, and. Uh, and we were there for a few years, and my dad always regretted leaving Clovis for some reason. And uh, and then he moved and took a trip. He went. We went to Selma. Selma was a town uh, about 15 miles uh, south of Fresno, and we went to Brother John Park's church there. It was a wonderful church, still is today, a fantastic church. And went there. But then after about three years, uh, my dad took a church in Sanger, which was a few miles from there. We still lived in Selma. We were there for about two years, and my dad never did. I guess my dad was a little prescient in this. He he uh, he never he never wanted to stay in California. He had moved to California when he was nine years old. His family had moved from or Louisiana to California, but he never wanted to live in California. He was always trying to find a way out of California. I remember stopping as a young young kid, probably eight nine years old. We drove through on forty, drove through Arizona on forty, and. Uh, and I and we we went to I remember going to the Grand Canyon about eight or ten years old. I don't remember we were headed to Louisiana about eight or ten years old, and we went to the Grand Canyon and the Painted Desert and the Petrified Forest. And I have never I've lived in Arizona for almost fifty years. I have never been back. 
I, I, I don't get it. But I want to go. I've never been back to those places in all of these years. I, and I'm an Arizonian now. But we uh, remember coming through and Dad stopping. There was a church that was open in Flagstaff. Dad looked at the building and, and Dad hated cold weather, so we didn't go to Flagstaff. But when I was 12 years old, we came to Southern. My dad knew a man in uh, Selma, who's, uh, or actually Kingsburg, which was near Selma, whose brother pastored here with a Harlan Gray. We came to, to Safford, and we moved into this uh, into this church. And, and at that time, nobody that is in this church, with one exception, was here. One person was, was Anna Gonzalez, who was a little Sunday school kid. She's the only one that is still here from the day when my dad and Kate came and took that church. It was a... Uh, it was a different situation. We came from an area where there were a lot of churches and a lot of fellowship. And I was—I went to Roosevelt Junior High School in Selma, and I came to Safford, and Safford was a different type of town. It was really a different type of town back then. And uh, and it, I, I know that that I know, like Brother Joel has been going, going to Safford. I love Safford High School. When I came to Safford. It was a very clannish town. It was half the size. It was very, very LDS. And it was very, very clannish. And I just, I was marginalized. I had no friends. I was, we were poor. We came into the church. The church was not in, in really good shape. My, we, were, we hardly had anything at all. My dad, my dad worked here and there trying to uh, support us and, and, and pastor at the same time. And I was, we were poor as Job's turkey. The only clothes that I wore were hand-me-downs. I never got new clothes, hardly at all. It just didn't happen. I remember wearing, God help us, plaid pants because that's what we got from the rummage sale. Plaid pants. Everybody else was wearing jeans. I was wearing plaid pants. They made fun of me because I wore plaid pants. Amen. And, uh, and I mean, just that sort of thing. And, and uh, one kid, I remember looking at me and saying, why don't you ever wear jeans? I'm like, we don't have any money to buy jeans. You know, or Levi's, you know. And, uh, but whenever I got my own money, I bought Levi 501s, thank you very much, every time. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I remember the first time I got new shoes. We went down to J.C. Penny down here. And, and J.C. Penny, y'all don't know, what, what is there now? It's a dance studio or something. It was a three-story J.C. Penny. There was a basement, and there was a, and then there was an upstairs, and it had everything. This was a real department store. Sears was down the road. Gamble's was over here. And I mean, Main Street was a place to go. Now. I mean to tell you, it was something else. I went in, and my dad said, "Why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't we buy you some new shoes?" Somehow he got some money, and he bought me. He said, "These will be good." And he bought me some wingtips. Wingtip for old men's shoes. That's what I have on right now. I thought they were cool. He bought me some brown wingtips. I'll bet though, I think they were forcing or something. They were nice. I come home, my brother, older brother looked at me and said, What in the world have you got on? You know, right about then we were wearing these had heels. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> Y'all don't know about this stuff. This was in the era of the Kiss band. Anybody ever seen Kiss? Heard of Kiss? They had heels like that. And all the guys wore heels. I got me heels when I was 15 years old. I wore heels. And they were so small you could see my toes pushing out the front of them. But I had heels on. Went to General Comforts in Fort Worth. Was it Fort Worth? I don't know where it was. Indianapolis. I had them heels on, man. Exactly. Look back. I had bell bottoms, people. My, my, my brother used to wear bell bottoms and he'd show black widow spiders and flowers on the pockets of his bell bottoms. We were cool. But I didn't have that stuff when I come to South right? If you ever look at old pictures of Christie's, we came back then. I looked like I was I was living in a homeless family, and it wasn't it wasn't just it, it just you know I I have a my shirt open a t-shirt and, and a cold sore which I got one right now sort of uh, or two or three cold sores, amen. And I and, and my hair was was hanging down in my eyes. I looked like some sort of little hippie kid they drug off the street. And, and I mean my brother would have nice clothes on, my sister would have nice clothes on, and I looked like they picked somebody up in the gutter and said, "Kid, you want to take a picture with us?" I didn't fit in very well. I got picked on. I told a story one time. There was this one guy that picked on me all the time. And he just picked on me. And him and his friends picked on me. And they harassed me and harassed me until I didn't want to go to school anymore. And I just had gotten so harassed. It's kind of interesting when you get to a place where you push to the corner and push to the margins. And there comes a point when you're just like, I've got to do something about this situation. I've told this, I'm sure, but I'm sitting in the deal, and this guy harassed me, harassed me. He walks up to me, and he slaps me. I'm sitting in a, in a, at a desk. He slaps me in the back of the head, and he had done this sort of thing over and over again because he could get away with it because I wouldn't do anything. Slaps me in the back of the head, and I stood up, and I grabbed him, and I slammed him against the wall. He goes, oh. And the teacher, who never said a Thing about what the guy was doing looks at. Oh, well, Chris, don't do that. I've told this story too, but years later I was working for Circle K. Y'all have heard this. I'm working for Circle K. I'm as tall as I am now. Behind Circle K, they have a four-inch deal that goes up behind Circle K. I'm 23 years old. I look, I'm as big as I am now. Maybe bigger, I don't know. Guy. You know, I've got glasses that totally changed. I look, because I'm behind the counter, I look 6'4". And in comes Lance, the guy who had harassed me for so long. And he was the same age that he was in 8th grade. Or same size that he was in 8th grade. Same size. Same size that he was in 8th grade. And he was a mechanic. He worked in the deal. He'd come in. He was as nice as can be. He really was. He's the nicest guy. He completely changed from whenever he was a kid. But I recognized him because he looked exactly the same. He'd walk in, he'd get his coffee, he'd get his donut, come over, and we'd talk and just friendly. And I, I'd say, dude, I remember you, man. I hated your guts. <laughs> Is this all right? I'm just yeah. all right. Yeah. I hated your guts. And uh, one day he walks in and I said, you know, I think I went to school with you. 
I didn't think I went to school with him. I knew I went to school with him. I think he said, no. He said, man, I don't recognize you. You don't look familiar at all. I said, yeah, yeah. About the third or fourth day, he came in. Yeah, I said, I, I, I know I went to school with you. I, and I told him his name. He goes, yeah, yeah, what's your name? I said, Chris Keys. His face went white. Literally, I'm not joking. His face went white. He looked at me and said, Man, I was and said some very, very foul language about what he was. He said, I'm so sorry, man. I was, I was bad in school. I'm sorry, Chris. I looked at him. My dad told me. He said, if you'd come around that counter, he would have tore the doors off getting out of there. I said, oh, man, Lance, it's water under the bridge. It's no big deal. It's been 10 years ago. Don't worry about it. And, and it was fine. You know, people grow up. Yeah. But, but there was a point where I had to do something. Uh, about that, but there's, there's, it's interesting that when you are at that age, it seems like this desperation kind of sets in because you're trying to figure things out. And even as you grow older, young ladies, you want to get married, young, and, and so on. You, you, you know, it's kind of a desperation. Those desperate moments, if you're not careful, will push you to do extreme things that you should not do. Right. But at the same time, that feeling can push you to do something that you need to do. Right. Amen. It just depends on what direction you take. Amen. At this point in an individual's life is when you can either blow it big time or find the will of God. Right. And that happened to me when I was about 15 years old. I struggled after that. And there were many times I struggled after that. I had to go through different things, but I was just a, a teenager and God began to deal with me. And I gave the end to the call of God. I began to preach the gospel. Amen. And it was during that time, that marginalized time, that time when I was trying to figure my life out, that God got a hold of me. Come on, that's good. Come on. If you look at the lepers in the Bible, you find when the Bible talks, not about the, the Bible talks about leprosy in, in, uh, in, 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 um, in, in Leviticus, it talks about Uzziah who became leprous. It talks about some others. But when you look at the lepers that decided it was time to do something, you look at the four lepers of Samaria. The city of Samaria was surrounded by, by the Syrians, and, and they were in famine. The people were dying, and they were starving inside the city. And there were four lepers that were outside the gate. They come to the gate and say, man, we need something to eat. And the people in Samaria said, we don't have anything to eat. Do you think we're going to give you anything? Oh. <clears throat> they looked at each other and one of them says, why sit we here till, until we die? You know what? That is one of the greatest statements in the Bible. Uh -huh. Why sit we here until we die? Yeah. Why in the world are we not doing anything while we're sitting here and dying in our situation? Amen. What is wrong with us? Amen. Amen. We, we don't, here we are. We're going to starve to death. Hey, are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah, you, you know. We're about to start eating people. But that's what they were doing in Samaria. Yeah. Yeah. There, was two, there was two women in Samaria. They both had babies. They were so hungry, they made a deal. They said, we'll eat your kid today and we'll eat my kid tomorrow. They ate the one kid and the other one said, no, we ain't going to do that. We ain't going to eat mine. And so here you go. <clears throat> and the lepers looked at each other and said, I hate you, but you're too ugly. <laughs> you're, I, I ain't that hungry yet. Right. 
Why sit we here till we die? Oh yeah, I'm hungry. I'm hungry too. Let's go knock on the gate. Hey guys, can you give us something? Hey, you know what? We ain't got enough food for us. We're not giving you anything. Why sit we here till we die? There comes a point when people in those situations, this is why people like Martin Luther King Jr. got up and began to march. Because they've been pushed and pushed and pushed and mistreated for so long. They're like, send the dogs in, send the water cannons in, send the tear gas in. We don't care. Something's got to change. Amen. You can look at a lot of different situations throughout history like that, where people just stood up, the leprous men stood up and said, I'm tired of this situation. One says, what are we going to do? Well, they won't let us have any food in here. Well, we know there's food in the Syrians. Yeah. So let's check that out. Now, sometimes whenever you get desperate, you make rash decisions. You're not really sure what you're doing. And in this case, they happen to make the right decision because God used it, uh, amen, to, to cause uh, deliverance to come on the city of Samaria. The Bible also tells another story about a man by the name of Naaman, who was a captain and a messenger, but he was leprous. Now, the Bible talks about his wife, talks about the little servant girl who had been captured from, from Israel. But the thing about it is, it sounds like a really nice little domestic situation. I'll guarantee you this. He may have been a captain. He may have been all of this sort of thing. But he didn't live at home. Right. <clears throat> he lived out somewhere else because he had leprosy. Nobody wanted him around, but he was desperate. The little girl said, I know of a prophet in Israel. And if you'll go there, you can be healed. Up. And he comes walking in and he sends his men up to the door of Elisha. And Elisha says, go tell him this. Uh, take seven dips in the river Jordan. And he says, I was angry. And he says, I can go home and there's better rivers in my homeland than, than the river Jordan. And the other guy, they look at him, they call him father. They said, Father, his servant said, Father, if he'd ask you to do something difficult, you'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, just swallow your pride. Right. And sometimes the things you desperate, we need to swallow our pride. Right. Oh God, help me to myself before you. Right. It may be the money garden. It may be a place of prayer in the early morning or whatever it might be or, or, or laying aside things uh, that my flesh loves. But help me to humble myself before you. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to do it. Sometimes we do things because we know it's right. Not, and even if it doesn't feel right, we know it's right. God healed him right there. You look at this leper that came to Jesus. Behold, there came a leper. Matthew 8 and 2. And he worshipped him. Saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You need to understand something. The very act of him coming to Jesus was a violation of the way things worked. <clears throat> Anybody else? Listen. Hold on. Right there. But wait, wait. Six foot apart. Wait, wait. It wasn't even more than that then, you know. It wasn't coronavirus. That they went anywhere near as contagious as coronavirus. Yo, oh, that, 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 uh, what do you want? I, I, Lord, I know that you can heal me. You stand right here. Right stand right there. Kind of like the fellow that was, that was praying for people. They were coming out of this preacher. And he walked out and he said, Sister. What's wrong with you? She said, I've got the seven-year itch. She goes, Lord, heal her. <laughs> 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 kind of like, oh, 
Jesus didn't do that. He says, if you, he come up to him, Jesus, Jesus knew way, did I miss your hair? Jesus knew way back what was going on. And, and he said, you can heal me. The man came to him in violation. The ten, the ten lepers, they came out. They, here, here's what's interesting about them, is they, they actually abided by the rule and stood afar off. But they screamed out to him. They, they called out to him. The Bible says they lifted up their voices. <clears throat> Lord, we know, Master, that you can have mercy on us. That's not the way it works. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And they cried out. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. So in each of these instances, they, people knew that something had to be done. They lived their lives on the margins. Their, their life was essentially ruined. They had no real hope for the morrow. And they were utterly miserable. And they lived in a place where we just need to do something. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes we walk through our life, Christian or not Christian, amen. Uh, we walk through our life and we're trying to figure things out. And we're trying to figure out what to do. And, and as young people especially, amen, there, there's all of the different things that we deal with. Uh, we start out with, there, there's this point where we become uh, uh, around, I guess they call it middle school age. And, and our bodies begin to change. And, and the way we think begins to change. And, and we don't really think much anymore. And, we're, and, and I, I know middle schoolers, for the most part, are not actually human beings. I don't know what happens. Uh, but they're aliens at that point. And they grow up and become human beings, sort of. But, uh, but they're, they're just, everything's different. They're, their minds work different. They're thinking things they never thought before. They're acting ways they never acted before. And they get a little older and they begin to understand what's going on with their body and with their spirit. And suddenly it's like there are things that I want in life. Like and maybe I need to go to school or, or maybe, where, where do I go to school and what do I do with this situation and, and I want to get married and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're trying to figure all this out. And it goes on beyond that. They, 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 they get a little older. They get married and we, 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 we have kids and now we got to figure out the kids. God, help us stop. Amen. And what to do with the kids and how to raise the kids and how, how to deal with the kids. Amen. And then you get like me and you don't worry about that kind of stuff anymore. Well, grandkids, yeah, well, there is that. Amen. But uh, it's just, you find yourself trying to figure things out. And this is the point where you walk up and say, Jesus, I need you. I'll do your will. If it's a buddy Jordan, I'll do your will. Whatever it is, I'll do your will. I'm not going to sit here and be satisfied with what I am. My life. My walk with God, my ministry, I will not settle for less than what God wants for me. I recently said, and I'm going to close, I recently said with a friend, a very close friend, and he began to tell me a little bit of his testimony. He came to the Lord at a very young age. His mother was in church, but his, of sorts she was in church. His father was not. He was one of probably a dozen kids uh, on both sides of the family. And um, he, uh, uh, both sides, his mom and his dad. It was his, hers, and mine type situation. And, uh, 
But he was born again in a Southern California church. But bad, bad things happened to him in his life. His mother would abandon him and then his, his dad would abandon him and his dad would tell him, you know what, I like your sister better than I like you and I'll take and vice versa and went back and forth and back and forth and he uh, he walked away from God in, a, in, a, in, his, in his young teens and, and just went just went, went off the deep end he suffered terrible abuse and he sinned terrible sins he was just, he was just a, a miserable miserable individual never at one time during that time did he ever Charge God foolishly or, 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 or disbelieve in God. He knew what truth was every step of the way. There was never a point. And there came a point that he made up his mind to go back to church and to live for God no matter what. And he did. He walked into the church. He laid his life down before the Lord on the altar. He had to do something desperate. He was miserable, miserable. Today he's married, has a family, and has one of the greatest evangelistic ministries that, that you can imagine. Amen. Because he reached a point where he said, here's where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to live for God. Nothing's going to stop me. And he's been through tough times, but that man will never, ever turn. I don't believe he will. He's just made up his mind. Amen. Amen. I told you his name, you would know him because he's impacted this church. But but he was just a it was just a beautiful thing how that God got a hold of him. The lepers could stay lepers. Amen. And live like a leper. They could stay outside and live there. But they refused to do that. This brother decided he wasn't going to do that. So he came to Jesus. Let's stand and worship the Lord. God, we love you, Jesus. God, I love you, Lord. God, I know sometimes we struggle with situations. Oh, God. Thank you, God. Help us, Jesus. Oh, God, sometimes we struggle with ourselves, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord.